Awesome. Thank you so much, worship team, for leading us in worship. Thanks, West, uh, for leading the meeting here. If we haven't met before, my name is Andy. Um, I have the privilege of leading Oceanside Church with the rest of the eldership team. Uh, and it's just such an amazing privilege to, to gather with you all here this morning. Man, it's, it doesn't look as full now um, because about a third of our congregation is youth and young people. Um, but it's so amazing to look around the room and see how God is filling this place again. I will just say one practical thing, if you're coming and grabbing a seat on a Sunday morning, don't just sit on the aisles, but move into the middle. You can tell with what God is doing in our midst that, that God wants to increase. I'd love to not go to two services or more services just this minute as well, uh, and I'm sure our volunteers would, would love us to pause on that, but let's fill this room. Let's keep, continue to keep doing that. And man, I'm so amazed by the amount of youth that have turned up uh, to church here this morning to, to join together. I'm so encouraged. For that group, we don't know exactly what it's going to look like. We're really saying, okay, let's see who's coming. Let's, let's see what God has for us. Our, our hope is not to remove them from the Sunday service. You know, they're still going to be worshiping with us. But we do know that 13-year-olds don't learn the same way as, as some of us do. So we just want to make a fruitful time where they can really get into God's Word for themselves. Again, with the, with the future that is coming for the coming generations, it's going to be really important uh, that young people and us, we know our Bibles, we know how to go, God, to go to God for ourselves and have that deep relationships for ourselves, not just being fed by others. And that's what that group is all about. Uh, it's been led by Melissa for, for a long time. If you can tell, she was pregnant. Uh, she didn't... She is doing amazing, and she's going on maternity leave on, on, in mid-April, and Justin is picking up the torch there to carry things on. So pray for our youth. Pray for our youth. Pray that this generation that is coming through would do more things than the current generation that leads and, you know, that is in this room here today. Does that sound good? We have high, high hopes. We really do for what God wants to do in this next generation. High hopes. Um, have you ever been like on a guided tour or an adventure of some sort? I think uh, the reason why this sparked in my mind uh, just a couple days ago is there's a, there's, a, there's a young courting couple in the church. They're laughing right now because they know this is about them. Um, I won't mention their names. Maybe it'll slip out later. But anyway, I was chatting to them on, on Friday night, and it, I was asking about that day the next day, and they said they were going to go ca caving up at Horn Lake. And I was like, wow, that sounds like a terrible idea. I've been caving before, but I think since then I've become a little claustrophobic, or I forgot I was claustrophobic at the time. But it got me thinking about, you know, when we do these, like, adventurous things, right? And luckily for them, I'm glad that they turned up back at Oceanside Church. We don't have to send a, a search party back out for them or anything like that. But when you do these adventurous things, you know, you know the website sort of, like, thrills you with the, the pictures, the views you know, what you're going to do, what you're going to achieve, the friends you're going to make along the way. And, you know, when you arrive at the destination, there's, there's sort of this brief from the person that's going to be taking you down where you're going, in their case, down these deep, dark caves that nobody has any business going down. I don't know why you're doing that. But you have a guide, a person who's been there before. And, you know, they're telling you what to wear. They're telling you what you need to look out for. And you'll realize at a certain point, they'll try to slip something in and move past it quickly. And it's usually the really terrifying thing that they're not wanting you to think about right now, but they need to legally tell you about because it may kill you. Has anybody had an experience like that? For these guys, it's like, okay, watch out for the part of the cave where you have to squeeze yourself through, your whole body through this, through this little part. It's going to happen. Like the rest of the cave is great, but this little part, don't worry about it. And I love it when you're sort of going on one of these things, you're like, hang on, what did you say? 
You know, maybe you've been to Wild Play down at the uh, adventure park there down in South Nanaimo. Similar things like, it's going to be good, and then there's this going to be part, don't worry about it. And you're like, that's all well and good for you, the person who's guiding me through. You've done it a million times before, but to me, that sounds like something that will kill me and hurt me. Um, Camilla has an amazing family that I get to inherit after to moving to Nanaimo, and her, uh, our brother-in-law, Ben, he's this wild, crazy, he's not wild and crazy, but he's a guided tour expert. In the summer, he does kayak tricks, trips. In the winter, he does heli-skiing. Just has the best job in the world. And man, he's the most chill person you've ever met as well. You know, and I can just imagine going on, one day maybe I'll go on a heli-ski tour, probably never with him because I'll wind up dead under an avalanche for sure. But I can just imagine, he's like, yeah, we're going to do this, do that. Watch out for the avalanche, you know, the tons of snow that may cover you. But, you know, I'm sure everything will be fine. He's the kind of crazy person that would kayak around, around Vancouver Island, the whole of Vancouver Island in a stormy November. But we know these people, we've experienced these people, and, we, and when we hang out with these people, we realize that they, they like to do adventurous things. Nathan talked last week in terms of what it means to be disciples of Jesus, and I think the disciples at certain times in their following of Jesus had these certain things. It's like, okay, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good. Hang on, what did Jesus just say about that? Hang on, can you, can you rewind the minutes over there? Can, well, I'm sure one of the disciples was taking minutes. That's how we ended up with all these scriptures. No. Can you rewind and just revisit what you just said there, Jesus? And it's interesting because Jesus as well... You know, he introduces these amazing adventures to our lives, these amazing thrills and experiences where we experience high highs, beautiful lookouts, amazing victories, conquering journeys. But Jesus also slips some things in there as well. If you know where we are in sort of the Christian calendar, obviously Christmas is a big deal, but probably a bigger deal in the life of the church is Easter, right? And Easter's coming up in two weeks. We start Easter with Good Friday where Jesus was nailed to the cross and crucified for our sins. And then on Sunday where he raised from the dead in victory and in life. And I think as we journey towards Easter and as we finish up this series, I was thinking about, you know, again, what was Jesus telling the disciples about their upcoming adventure right before he left? If I could say if there's a bit of homework for us this week or anything like that, I would say this week and these two weeks leading up to Easter, go into some of these scriptures where Jesus, what he's telling the disciples before he hangs up on that cross. And for these scriptures for us this morning, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be mainly in John 15, but if you look throughout John, John recaps this, this sort of long speech of Jesus when he had just sort of washed the disciples' feet just before Passover. So yeah, in John 13, Jesus starts by washing his disciples' feet and teaching them about being a servant and, and how Jesus came to serve them. In John 14, you know, these are some of the most popular scriptures out there. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You know, that's going to be really important for the disciples as they go on their journey. He also, in John 14, promises them the Holy Spirit that's going to come at Pentecost. You know, we talked about that two weeks ago, about how the power of the Holy Spirit is still present in the church today, just like it was with the disciples. The mission that Jesus has for the church today is just the same that the disciples had, and we can, we can do the same things. He promised them the Holy Spirit. 
And in John 15, he teaches them about having a continued, ongoing relationship with himself. He says, guys, you need to abide in me like sort of grapes grow from a vine. You need to be connected to me so you can bear fruit. You can't bear that fruit unless you're connected to me. Yes, you've got the Holy Spirit, but you need to be connected to me, Jesus. And then the second half of John 15, he gives them that new commandment where he says, and my commandment, my biggest commandment that I'm leaving with you before I go is that you would love one another. You would love one another. Jesus talked about that lots. We know and we're very familiar, right, with the love of Christ. That's probably the most thing that, that the secular world knows about Jesus, that he was this guy who, who loved his people, who, who poured out love for others. But then... Jesus moves on, and in John chapter 16, he talks about the Holy Spirit again, but this time he talks about that the Holy Spirit, the kind of the work of the Holy Spirit will will come in part by convicting the sin of the world. He will also say in John 16 that your sorrow will be turned to joy. I'm sure the disciples are thinking, hang on, sorrow? Joy's good, but sorrow first. Your sorrow will be turned to joy. And then he finishes before Jesus enters the high priestly prayer, before he's arrested, he says, take heart, I have overcome the world. Pretty important news that the disciples receive before Jesus leaves them and they journey on with the mission of God by themselves. But if you're keenly aware and if you know these scriptures, Kind of like the guide likes to skip over something, I, I missed out something in the, in the recounting of Jesus' words. It's in the second half of John chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, open it up this morning. We're going to be in the second half of John chapter 15. And if you're new to Oceanside here this morning, I apologize that we're preaching about this today. We don't preach about this subject every time. But in, as Jesus stood before the crucible, as Jesus stood before the cross, he was teaching the disciples certain things. And there's a lot in those scriptures that we know really, really well. But then there's other things that we sort of, we sort of skip over. We say, oh, ignore that little bit. Don't worry about that part because the gospel is good news and you're going to have lots of fun as we go on this ad- adventure. Have anybody of you been on an adventure where they haven't given you the real truth about what might happen through it? Has anybody done that? I was going to mention a funny story about a staff... Uh, yeah, Zoe's laughing too. To, to the credit, it was this person's idea that we do this activity, and we went to Wild Play as a staff. But the person who booked the activity was really not thrilled about the things that we ended up doing in all the obstacle courses and the abseiling and all, all that stuff. It was very exciting. But you know, like if someone takes you on an adventure and they don't give you the whole truth about what's going to happen along the journey, as well, you can be a bit miffed. And Jesus doesn't leave anything out. He leads us through. And as we are two weeks out from Easter, you know, the Easter egg hunt that we're doing for the community, you know, it says that there's a limit of 60 kids. I, I actually don't know where that came from. There's no limit on kids. We've bought too much chocolate. You need to come out and invite all your friends. There is no limits on the, on the two times that are coming up. Um, but as we're before Easter, we, we realize the man that we follow, right? We realize, especially at this time of year, that we, we love all the exciting things about Christ. And then at this time of year, we remember that, man, he hung limp and dead up on a cross for us. The man that we follow, as, Jesus, as, as Wes spoke about him, Jesus hung on a cross for us. 
It's an amazing privilege following Jesus, but as we journey after him, we have to follow in all of his footsteps, not just the ones that we pick and choose for ourselves. We're in this series right now of becoming like Christ, and we'll probably finish with Easter as our, as our final topic unless God impresses on our hearts to keep going. But in this series, we're looking at how can the church of today look and smell and speak and teach just like Jesus did? How can we go where he's going? How can we, to our core, become who he is? You know, the Bible says for the disciples and for us today that as we journey with Jesus, we become more like him. That's why we're doing this. We're doing this series because the church of North America needs to look more like Jesus than we've looked in recent years. The, church, the, the people of Nanaimo, the people of Canada need to experience the love of Christ, the person of Christ, and it's going to come by us becoming more like Christ. Not that we replace the relationship of Christ with people, but that we can look like Jesus just enough to introduce them to the person who has affected us in that way. We want to smell like Jesus. Perhaps not. He lived 2,000 years ago. Maybe, maybe we smell a little bit better today. I don't know. <laughs> Brian's laughing. I asked my kids the other day, like, did Jesus ever fart? And that was a good, that was a good experience. But we, we won't go there today, sorry. Not good. We want to be like Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, we were talking about, the, again, that power of the Holy Spirit and how we need the Holy Spirit for the mission that God has for us today. And we said, you know, like Father, like Son. Like God the Father was, Jesus Christ was. Like God, like Jesus and the journey of his disciples that Jesus led us through last week, we learned that like Jesus, like his disciples. If you were going to be a disciple of Jesus, you, your goal was to be like him. And that is the same for us today. Like Jesus, like us. Not just in the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul spoke again in the second week of this series that we're also supposed to take up our cross like Jesus. Today's title isn't pretty or alluring. It's not going to do well out there on the internet probably or anything like that, but today's title is how do we deal with hatred from the world like Jesus dealt with it? And Lord Father, as we open up our scripture here this morning, as we open your word in John, we believe everything there is not just for the people at that time, but it is for us. Lord, may we teach the whole account of your scripture, Lord God. May we teach your whole word, not leaving out any part, because we believe that this is helpful for us, for where we are going, for the victories we will see in the future. Thank you, God, for your word here today. Hatred isn't a sexy thing to talk about. I'm sure on the, the date that those guys went on, not to talk about them more, but dates are fun and, you know, I'm sure they didn't talk about the hatred that the world has for believers and how they were really keen about journeying for Jesus together in all the hate that the world has. But hatred is not something even we as Christians commonly put together between Jesus and his story. Again, it's something that we skirt over. It's something that we don't think about often. We think about Jesus as being loving. We think about Jesus as being kind and his gracious. But he was first hated. And in the secular society as well, if you ask people outside these worlds like, if they like Jesus or not, most of them would probably say, yeah, we like Jesus. But they like Jesus until they start listening to the authoritative word of Christ. Then Jesus becomes a whole lot more unattractive. Then following him and his journey and his footpath becomes a whole lot 
not nice. We like to hear things that are going to add to our lives. We like to, things, to hear things that are just going to be added onto us that we can take, that we can bless us. And Jesus does that to the fullest. But Jesus asks us to lay other authoritative things in our lives down first. So first of all, how did Jesus talk about hatred of the world? Again, maybe a surprising subject, but let's read. John chapter 15, verse 18. And again, he says this in sort of some of the greatest hits of his teaching. And I encourage you guys, before Easter, go through John 13 to 17 as we lead up, and it will just yeah, be, a, be an awesome thing for you. So Jesus says this to his disciples. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, on account of the name of Jesus, because they do not know him who sent me. That's God the Father. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my Father also. If, they ha if I had not done amongst them the works that no one else did, they would not have been guilty of sin but now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. But the word that is written in the law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Verse 26, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send you from the Father, as the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will be a bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said these things to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering up service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when that hour comes, you may... that when that hour comes that you may remember that I have told them to you. Fun words from Jesus, hey? All feeling happy now? Perfect. Jesus, I'm so excited to go on this mission for you. The first thing that we realize here today is that the world hated Jesus first. Again, not something that we're, we're terribly familiar. I think we got some slides there who's ever uh, taken over for Ethan on the desk. Um, but the world has hated Jesus first. Indeed, that's why we've ended up at Easter. It's strange to think about because we see in Isaiah 53, you know, the old prophets, they, they prophesied that this would happen. And indeed, Jesus before the cross, he went willingly because he knew it had to take place. But the crucifixion of Jesus didn't just happen because God needed it to happen so that we could enter freely as sons and daughters into, into his kingdom. But it also happened because the world around it hated his guts. The kids this week are, are learning about the triumphal entry. But how quickly 
On Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, what did moods change? And how quickly did they turn to, away from Jesus once they realized that he wasn't doing the very things that they wanted him to do? The world hated Jesus first. You can look throughout the scriptures and see these interactions. There were a lot of people that had problems with Jesus. Even in his hometown in Luke uh, chapter 4, verse 20, Jesus has to escape a mob because he's told them that actually the year of the Lord's favor isn't so much coming up on you, but it's coming up on people outside of this place. And they get so angry that they want to kill him. They want to throw him off a cliff. Indeed, he escapes and he goes somewhere else. Jesus also caused people to hate him at the time because he broke the religious rules of the day. He broke the interpretations of Scripture that, that they would enforce above love for the people. He broke things. We think about what are the rules for today. Jesus might break different things as if he ministered here. And he, the other thing that really sort of ticked off the elite at sometimes is he, he poured out his blessing on the outcast and the down and out, the people who had been rejected by, the, by Israel at that time. Jesus actually blessed them the most. We can see that in how he begun the Sermon on the Mount and how he ministered work, uh, you know, miracles and all these things. He blessed the houses of Roman soldiers even, even the oppressors and stuff like that. Jesus went around causing hatred for himself because he didn't feed into the status quo. Now, for those things today, you would think, hey, our society would, would actually love those things. Blessing the outcast, our society loves that. Breaking the rules, our society loves that. You know, telling, rejecting some people to point at the people over there, some, sometimes our society loves that too, right? But where it came ultimately is when Jesus exalted his authority above their own earthly power and authority, that's when Jesus was crucified and he bled and died for us. Jesus reminds us as we go as the church that they hated me first. The second point is that the world at times can hate Jesus' followers. The world at times can hate us as his followers. Jesus says, as he begins there, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. And Jesus gives the reason. Jesus gives the reason, well, if they're going to hate me, they're going to hate people who truly follow my word. Now, I do like the way that Jesus started out this section because some of you are sitting there a little worried. Some of you are sitting there a little worried saying, oh man, I'm at a, I've arrived at a church where they're just like against the culture and we're gonna, we're gonna rally, we're gonna push a certain political agenda, we're gonna, we're gonna rah, 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 and you know, all, we, all we speak is hatred of the world and you know, it's us versus them and all of this stuff. And I wanna say it's not that. When Jesus carried out his earthly ministry, it wasn't hate, he, re he received hate at Easter, he received hate from a certain group of people. But a lot of the time, he was loved for the ministry he did amongst the people. How many healings? How many encouragements? How many blessings? How many people who were caught in sin, Jesus redeemed and forgave them on the very spot and actually turned away the judgment that was coming for them? Actually, Jesus at the time, the reason why he entered Easter with the triumphal entry is because people loved Jesus. But people also had the capacity to hate him as well. Jesus begins this section with, if the world hates you. 
He doesn't say the world will hate you all the time for everything you do as a believer. And some of us need to hear that today because some of us in recent years in feeling that you're being backed into a corner, indeed, the church in Canada is being backed into a corner. I know it. I see it just like you. But that doesn't mean that everything we do as the church will cause hate amongst the people outside these walls. Jesus says, if they hate you. And there will, be, there will be very real things that we say and stand up for because it's in God's word that will cause hate amongst the people outside here. But also, Jesus says, if. The church should be a blessing to the city. We're asked that question sometimes. If this church no longer existed, would the city miss us? I believe they should miss us for the good things that we're doing, just like Jesus amongst the people. But Jesus brings up this topic of saying the world may hate you for certain things that you stand for. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Because Jesus knows there are very real things that cross the line between the secular culture being happy for a church to exist and do good amongst the community, and then very quickly wants it to be silent when it crosses a certain line. And some of us today, we find ourselves at these, you know, inflection points, at these, I can't think of the right words, at these, at these what's the word when something spontaneously combusts at a certain temperature? No, there's a different, there's a different word for it. I remember, from, I'm forgotten physics class, whoops. Um, there's a different point where, it, huh? No, yeah, we'll, we'll find it after. This was really helpful, thanks guys. No, just kidding. It's okay. But some of us are at that point, right, where the heat's turning up and, and things are sort of, you know, there's a, when a material reaches a certain, every, every material has a different one of this point. Um, and, uh, and it will burst into flame based on the, the surrounding heat. And we, we feel that tension in our culture today. And some of us are at those points where we're wondering, like, are we now stepping across the threshold of these things? And as we journey in these areas, some of us and a lot of us, and I expect all of us, are questioning how we love the world according to the truth of the gospel. And the reason why Jesus is telling his disciples that, and the reason why Jesus laid down these words for us to study today is because we need to hear these very same words. Because some of us at these points are succumbing to the world and what we would call the false gospels. I meet with a group of pastors in the town again, but there's, there's many different viewpoints on how we should apply the gospel to the secular world. And I believe the hardest thing for these pastors as they, as they, as they wrestle with where to stand on certain issues, I can see behind the lines is what is happening is that you know, we, we've, we've made a gospel, we have a gospel that is just good news. We have a gospel that is just good things. We have a gospel that is just positivity and motivation. Again, coming out of the early 2000s churches, you know, we were seeker-sensitive churches. We like, don't say a bad thing when Jesus, you know, everything is good around Jesus. So we ignore all the bad, we ignore all the hard stuff. I don't want to say bad stuff. We ignore all the harder teachings of Christ because we want to introduce people to Jesus. But as we know, when cultures shift, we know that the culture has realized that, hey, the core teachings of Jesus, some of them are very offensive. You know, we figured out how not to succumb to the prosperity gospel, and I've mentioned this before. You know, this, there are certain churches that exist because they believe that Jesus is going to give you wealth and blessing and abundance, and, you know, life's just going to be fantastic. We believe that that is a false gospel. 
But some of us are wrestling with the other false gospels that we'll dissect in years to come as we've realized that churches have gone in different directions. The gospels that we're dealing with today is the, pos- the popularity gospel. Indeed, if you, if you come to Jesus, you'll be popular and liked and he will bless you. The acceptable gospel, that if you just explain the gospel perfectly, that it will be accepted by those around you. A false gospel. Jesus doesn't represent that. A cultural gospel. A gospel that reflects and images and, and mirrors the culture of where it's going. Does the culture lead us or does Jesus lead us? Again, that's a false gospel. The inoffensive gospel, that actually the, Jesus never offended anybody or anything like that. Actually, Jesus was quite offended. He offended his disciples most of all. We were thinking about Peter last week. Jesus wasn't even his followers and disciples. He wasn't uh, scared of challenging them when they needed to be challenged and offending them. And the other false gospel is the love like the world gospel. Love like the world has made it seem that we should do. In 1 John chapter 2, a disciple of Jesus says this, reflecting back on what he had heard from Jesus and the Holy Spirit ministering. He said, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anybody loves the world, the love of the Father isn't in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world... Actually, that world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides in him forever. So point number one was the world hated Jesus first. Point number two is that as we follow Jesus truthfully, it means that we may encounter some hate. Again, it's not meaning that the world will hate everything we do. At different times, in different culture. The world, the, the world around it, the culture around the church at the time hates different things of the church, right? If you went to a communist country, they would hate different things about the church, not the same as it is in our scenario. So that's why we say if. Some of us have victim mentalities, and we've we got to get away from that. Actually, people around us in our society should look to us for certain things. Point number three is Jesus chose us out of the world. We're reminded that actually when we belong to Christ, we're no longer a part of this world that Jesus is saying is going to have a very hard time having relationship with us in those certain areas. Indeed, 2 Corinthians 5 reminds us that if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. And then Paul, who's writing this, says the old has passed away, which is a polite way of saying the old is dead and gone. The old is dead and gone. Behold, The new has come. The reason that we should expect that the world has a very difficult time with the authoritative teachings of Jesus and the rest of God's word in the Bible is because actually this is is as different as is to life versus death. If you think how how different it will be on the day you die, you're alive now, you'll be, well, for a believer, we'll be with Christ, amen. But in the physical The difference between something being alive and it being dead is the difference between the world knowing God's word and us knowing God's word. We shouldn't be confused when the world is angry at us. Some of you are very confused and perplexed with what's going on. Actually, we shouldn't be. It makes perfect sense. Once when we were dead, when we were far away from God, we were in these same positions. And we've only realized that we love God's word because Jesus has made us new. Nothing by what we've done, but everything because what he's done to us. 
we realize that God has chosen us out of the world, and it's not by our doing, it's by his doing. So we can't be overly proud when we engage with people who have no realization for the word of God, because they don't know. They're ignorant. Even Paul said at one, one time, I was ignorant of these things of God. But now, but now, I am a new creation, he's saying in this sec section. The world hates you. <laughs> Sorry. The world doesn't have unlimited, unconditional love. The world's love is actually conditional on you agreeing with what it agrees with. And the fourth point here that Jesus reveals in this section, verse 23, says that the hatred of Jesus shows actually hatred for God himself. Actually, when the world hates us for doing rightly what God has for us to do, Jesus has for us to do, actually that hate isn't a hate for us, we don't need to take it so personally because actually it's a hate for Jesus. I'm just a servant of Jesus. And that way when someone has something offensive to say against me, I can actually say, actually the offense belongs to God. I'm just a vessel. Some of us need to deal with the amount of offense that we're experiencing in life. Believe that God wants to work and God wants you to minister and God wants you to be his disciples. But the disciples knew when someone was offending God and it wasn't pointed at themselves. The way that the world interacts with the church sometimes is actually hatred towards the Father. Question that naturally arises based on this is what world is Jesus talking about? If, you are, if I were to ask you, you know, define what the world is, we would, you know, it's everything, everything, right? But the world that Jesus is talking about is, you know, Galatians 1.3 says, Jesus Christ who gave himself up for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Jesus is talking about an evil age that started at the Garden of Eden. When humanity first decided not to follow God and go our separate way, the evil age. Jesus is going to deliver us from this present evil age that we are still in. 1 John 5.19 says, The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So Jesus is talking about, you know, the world, the part of the world that's under someone else's authority, not under God's authority. Philippians 2 says, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation amongst whom you shine as lights in the world. You know, he's talking about a world that is, that is missing the mark. You know, our best description of the sin word translated from the original language is when someone misses the mark. You know, they don't hit the bullseye just far enough to... to to really get in the wrong direction. And Colossians 2 says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So when Jesus says that the world is going to hate you, or I've chosen you out of the world, he's talking about a world of fallen human tradition and progress in our own strength. And Ephesians 6.12 says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but wrestle against rulers and the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of the evil in the heavenly places. Jesus is talking about a world under the spiritual forces of evil. We notice by reading those places that, that actually our fight isn't against people. You know, we've heard the term, you know, like, hate the sinner. What, 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 I tell you. you can tell we've had a new baby and there was like four hours sleep last night. Sorry. 
Love the sinner, hate the sin. That's the correct gospel. Perfect. <laughs> Again, new baby. Have patience. Um, but actually, it's, you know, in our modern day, like that, that was the popular saying. And, you know, the real wrestle is, well, you know, when people receive that, it's like, well, it really feels like you're hating me <laughs> because I identify, you know, as what you're as calling as, as, as a sinful thing, and, and not just on one subject, but on many different subjects. A better phrase for today would be to, to love the person and hate the things of the world that have captive, held captive that person, you know? Hate the things of the world that has held captive, hate the ideology that has been instilled by what we believe would be the forces of evil in our world and human tradition, doing things by ourselves. How did Jesus deal with opposition? Again, our series is Becoming Like Christ. We want to walk as Christ did. How did Jesus deal with opposition? Again, we don't like to think about it. We like to think of Jesus, meek and mild, who made everybody around him love him. And that's how we end up with the prosperity gospel. But Jesus dealt with opposition everywhere he went. Like we said, in his hometown, he, they even tried to kill him in his hometown. The things he was saying were so offensive. The first th thing that he did is Jesus exposed motives of the people around him. When you read the Gospels, you realize that Jesus was, they would come to him with something right, and he was really good at answering them with what? A question. The reason why Jesus answers an accusation or a thought with a question is because then the accuser has to go back and examine their hearts. Church, we need to get better, not just at shouting truth to people, but actually asking good questions that revealed hard truths by the people coming to us and having issues sometimes. If you want to be effective in your workplace, if you want to be effective in your family, pray to God to give you the ability, the wisdom, the knowledge to ask good questions to those around you. Tim Keller this week on Twitter, he said, persuasion, and again, we don't really deal with persuasion, but persuasion works best when you show people they are mistaken, not only on the basis of your views, but on some of their own views. Jesus did that with the world around him when opposition came. He showed them where they were missing the mark. Tim Keller goes on and says, bad forms of pers persuasion are, I'm right and you are wrong and let me tell you why. How many people have ended up knowing Jesus here today because someone came to you in that attitude? No, that doesn't work. That creates barriers. That creates walls. Tim Keller says, good forms of persuasion are, hey, here is your argument to the best of my knowledge. Have I got that right? If so, I have some thoughts about what you believe. Better ways that we can engage with society. The second thing that Jesus did is he spoke with wisdom. Again, that sort of working together. He exposed motives behind and thought processes, and he spoke with wisdom. Wisdom comes from God, not of ourselves. It's not human truth. It's not things that we've made up ourselves in response to a good argument, but it's actually from God. We need the spiritual gift of wisdom in our midst. The next thing is that we see all throughout Scripture is that he applied Scripture. He spoke truth. He knew his Bible. Which I realize in stepping into the leadership position of this church is the best thing I can do as your leader is know my Bible inside and out. And I would say to any of you who are looking at following Christ towards leadership is the best thing you can do, even if it's 15, 20 years in the future, the best thing you can do is know your Bible in and out. 
Because that's where truth comes in. It's what grounds our decisions. It's what grounds our love. We see Jesus doing it all throughout. Jesus used the scriptures to, in, for those first two points as well. The next thing we see is that Jesus sought peace. Jesus wasn't violent or filled with hate. I don't think anybody perceived Jesus to be a hateful person. How much of our world perceives us to be hateful? And yes, we can't account for how they perceive things to be. But we shouldn't give that enemy a foothold or advantage by actually going in a spirit of hate as Jesus calls us to go in love towards the world, even with hard topics. This scripture isn't to say that you're going to have terrible, this, this scripture that governs today isn't to say that we're going to have difficult relationships into the future. Yes, in some areas. But actually, the testimony of your life is that actually, you know, uh, you know uh, Joseph, despite his view on that thing, he's an amazing guy. He's a generous guy. He prays for me. He asks me about my family. Yet we'd agree on that very troubling thing. But actually, I know that this man loves me. That should be the testimony of the world as they interact with us. Jesus sought peace. There was one time where Jesus didn't seek peace. Do you remember that? What was it? Turning the tables. Yeah, Jesus didn't always. But we remember where Jesus was when he turned the tables. Was he out in secular culture? No. He, what does he say? He said, my father's house. And church, that's where I'm most passionate. I'm not most passionate about yelling at the people outside these walls. But I'm most passionate about having difficult conversations with other leaders in churches and say, actually, I think you're turning Jesus' father's house into something that he did not intend. Amen? Jesus was passionate. He was not always meek and mild. But he reserved the very strictest of his words to the religious elite, the people who said that they were doing his will. The next thing, as Jesus encountered opposition, we've already spoke a little bit about this, but he blessed the community. A lot of people followed Jesus because he just blessed them. He healed them. He loved them. You know, we think about the feeding of the 5,000. You know, go back to Sunday school and remember all the amazing miracles of Jesus. He blessed the community. Signs, wonders, healings. Cities were better off with Jesus in them. Do you understand? Cities were better off with Jesus in them. And something for us as a church, I don't know if it's this season, but in this season, but we need to be better at doing good in our city. Not because it's a requirement, but the city should be blessed by us being here. Yes. We shouldn't just, anyway, you get what I'm saying. Jesus blessed the community as he went. Is Nanaimo physically better off with us here? We have to stand before God and take an account for that one day. At certain times, Jesus was silent. At certain times, he, he had arguments. He had the right things to say. At certain times, though, Jesus was silent. Again, the prophecies in Isaiah talked about this. This Jesus that at a certain time, he didn't open his mouth and he accepted his fate, indeed, towards the mission that Jesus was calling us on. And the discernment that we need to follow as we go into harder times as believers and as we try and love the world around us is that at certain times, we are actually going to need to zip it. Something the best time that we can do is actually show love through our actions and not just arguments. Do you understand? Yeah. Sometimes, next one, sometimes he left. My favorite thing as an introvert, the spiritual gift of leaving. Hooray. <laughs> Again, Luke chapter 4, they were going to kill him. 
the best thing to do at that point was to leave, make a, make a quick departure. Indeed, I love that the actual example of Jesus walking on water was literally to get away from people. I love it. He was trying, Jesus was trying to avoid, he went to the disciples out on the water when they were in the storm, but he literally walked on water to get away from people. I wonder how many other times he did that, and I need that spiritual gift as well. Um, that would be awesome. Thank you, Jesus. The next thing, Jesus focused on his mission. When you are focused on your mission, like Jesus is focused on his mission, again, then it doesn't matter how many people are offending us personally. Because actually, I'm not, I'm not here for your offense. Actually, I know that that offense is going to happen. Jesus warned me about it in John 15. Jesus expected me to say, even though I'm loving you, that you're going to repay me with hate. Even though I'm doing a really good job of being Jesus' hands and his feet, that actually you're going to repay me with hate sometimes. But as we're focused on our mission, those smaller details don't matter. I want to say that if you're in a part of life where you're really struggling, and again, there's a lot of people struggling here today for, for a variety of reasons, some with really good reasons, some, some of us with not so good reasons, but sometimes I struggle with the small things. And when someone comes alongside me and reminds me of the bigger call, the bigger thing, that actually it's not about just this week in your life, Andy, that actually there's more weeks to come, then I'm okay when I get captivated with the larger mission. Indeed, Jesus went to the cross, what? For the joy set before him. Not because the cross was joyful. It was only joyful because of what it purchased as a result, right? You and I in relationship. And there's one more thing for the end. Or one other thing, but we'll leave, leave that for there. Now, following Jesus has real consequences. Again, Paul kicked off the second week of the series by saying, you know, take up your cross daily. You know, a lot of us, we don't have good handles for what that looks like. But actually, in, in Canada, we, we're sort of stepping into a season where actually taking up our cross now has a, a bit more of a tangible flair to it. You know, all of you right now get lovely tax receipts because you give generously to the church. Amazing. And some of you are getting the refunds that come because the government says, thank you for giving to a church. But we understand that that's probably not going to be the case. And after that comes, that we're still going to be called to give to God, even though there's no nice reward from the government back for doing that. Following Jesus will have real consequences for his church. In the, room, in the room here today, being in this privileged position of being one of your leaders, we speak to people who have lost their jobs because of convictions in their life, not that they've shouted at their co-works, but they can, now longer do, they can now no longer do that job because that job is asking them to do something that isn't in line with the principles of Jesus. And the job doesn't have enough patience to say, actually, because you're a believer, you get not to do that. Actually, the employer is saying, actually, because you're refusing to do that, we thank you very much for your service. This is the real future that we're going into. Again, it's not all doom and gloom. This is actually a very easy future compared to some areas of the, the, the global church. But lost jobs in this room, we were speaking to a lady a few, uh, about a month or so ago, praying for someone, a healthcare worker in our community, someone who was going around to houses, someone who's been put in positions of seeing, you know, people you know, assisted suicide in these other areas, these very difficult areas where this lady was asking for help because help, I've, I've got this job where now this is a big issue in my job. What do I do? Pray for me. How do we do that? It's a privilege as a church to walk beside you. And aren't we being reminded now about how we need to walk together? This is why we need church. This is why we can't just come once in a while when we feel like we want to worship Jesus. 
Actually, we get to stand beside brothers and sisters who are in deep seasons of following Jesus through what we would actually call persecution. If you talk to someone from Iran, I was listening to an interview with someone from the Iranian church, and they were saying, actually, you know what? Persecution doesn't always look like you know, violence and, and killing and all this stuff. Persecution does look like that. But it says in Iran, like, a lot of what persecution looks like is that if they know they're a Christian, they just won't give you the job. They just won't give you the contract. They just won't, you won't get that government assistance. Persecution, a lot of the times, even in a place like Iran, is just subtle. There are people in the room today who have lost jobs. People in the room today who have had families divided. Jesus spoke about these things, real family issues. I was listening to a pastor recently who was, you know, at a, at a youth retreat with, with a kid, and this 10-year-old gave his life to Jesus. But guess what? His the 10-year-old's father was really not happy that this kid had met Jesus. So even for that 10-year-old, he already experienced the second half of John 15 saying, even the, the world, even your family has hated this decision that you've made in your life. Families divided. Even in the, our community, in Nanaimo, even in this church, we have people who have fled countries because they can no longer be in that country because of what it means to be a believer. Right? We've grown up in the majority, but we're moving to the minority. And in that, this verse, we need to get real with. In John chapter 16, what we read earlier, Jesus says, they will put you out of the synagogues. They will put you out of the central places. They will put you out of the center of community. The synagogue was the place where people met, where the whole community gathered. If you were put out of the synagogue, you were put out of society. They will put you out of the synagogue. What are the modern day synagogues? The core places, the cultural centers. In some directions, we may be outcasts into the future. But as Hebrews 13 reminds us, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? As we become captivated with the loving mission of Jesus to the world, we realize that man can do nothing despite he does what he can. And Jesus, in John chapter 16, verse 1, again what we've read here, Jesus says he's told us these things to what? To keep you from, not keep you from sin, to keep you from falling away. The word here this morning, the reason why we're preaching this is that without this word, without this teaching that is not filling you with warm fuzzies here this morning, that actually without this teaching of Christ, there are some of us that will fall away because we've assumed that the gospel will just lead to a nice ease of life, a, a, a non-frictional, non-frictional, friction, I can't think of the right word. Again, words fail me. But there will be no friction in life when I follow Jesus because he just wants to bless me and love me. Actually, Jesus does not teach that to his disciples. And if you haven't heard this before, you need to hear this because some of us, and indeed I know people, even in this church over the years, who have fallen away because they've perceived, actually, I can't, I can't reconcile this piece of the gospel with, loving, with loving, loving my neighbor, my friend, like they need to be loved. And because of that difficulty, they've chosen loving the friend over loving Jesus' word. So, as we land, where is the hope? <laughs> do, you, do you need that, or should we pause here? You can choose. You can go home 10 minutes early, or you can stay to the end. What would you like? Hope, right? We, we like hope. Good, good answer. Yeah, the, the, you can't do anything else. Well, there are people who are just leaving. That's fine. <laughs> um, 
the Spirit witnessing through us. Matthew 10, maybe I'll stick some of these verses online because we don't have time, but the, the Spirit witnesses through us. We're all here today because actually God's word is victorious. That even one day, we used to be enemies of God. I came to Christ when I was four, I'll, I'll be confessed, so I didn't feel like a big enemy of God at the time. But there is testimony upon testimony upon testimony in this room where you, you came to Christ in later years when actually you weren't looking for a new authority in your life. But actually Christ broke through. The gospel is good news, even though sometimes we don't perceive it to be good news before we've met Christ. We need to have people meet Christ. The Spirit is witnessing through us. Matthew 10, I will read it out actually, because it says in verse 19, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious for how you are to speak or what you are to say. Some of us here this morning are terribly anxious by this teaching for thinking that we need to you know, say something to, and in some point in time. But when they deliver you over, do not be anxious or, or how you are to speak or what you are to say for, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it, it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of the Father speaking through you. Church, that is a promise for you. And I can say the same. When I've, and that's why we need to get in step with the Spirit. Because actually in those situations, we can love like the early church loved in hard situations because the Spirit is with us. Even if you feel not educated on subjects, you don't need to have the most education. Not everybody needs, needs all the arguments. But Christ, but his Spirit will give you the words to say. Jesus reflected on his future position. He said, for the joy set before me, he endured the cross. In 2 Corinthians 4, it says, the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. The hope for the church today that is entering into a harder society to minister in is that the eternal weight of glory is beyond all comparison. That's why we begin with worship, because we get our eyes onto the one. We get our eyes onto the thing, right? Sound good? This is the hope part. You're supposed to give me some positive feedback. No, just kidding. Jesus has overcome the world, even in this teaching before the cross. John 16, verse 33, I have said these things to you that you may have peace. So even in this hard teaching, you can have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. Even as I finish off my teaching, I'm just gonna remind you one more time. In the world, you're gonna have tribulation. But take heart because I, because Jesus has overcome that world. Jesus comforts us today. 2 Corinthians uh, uh, chapter 1 says, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so Christ will share abundantly in comfort too. Some of us in many years actually haven't suffered that much for the gospel. That's okay. We're not looking for suffering. But actually, for us who are in positions in the world or in positions in families or in positions in employment or have escaped countries, the comfort of Christ is abundantly available for you. How many times have you met those Christians that are most filled with joy? Sometimes are the Christians who should have the least reason for being filled with joy. Thinking about a certain person in, in our community who had that name, who had that name. Joy was filled with joy. There is real, tangible victories for us today. Just because... It's going to be hard. doesn't mean there are ten, aren't tangible victories. 
Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. If you are here this morning, hearing these words, you actually have the ministry of reconciliation on your lives. What Jesus started, God was reconciling the world to himself through his son Jesus. That is now our ministry. We could name the church Reconciliation Church because indeed that's our purpose, that's what we're supposed to do. We need to find great ways, even in hard cultural times, to say, be reconciled to God, experience the love of Jesus. Indeed, I remember what I said a few weeks ago to you, that there was this guy who was an activist within the, within the gay community who was running hard against some experience that he had in the church. And a fashion designer just came to him before a, before a, a, a work job one time and said, they, they just got on to talking about the church. And, he's, and she said to him, he's like, have you ever experienced the love of Christ? And all she did was just lay hands on him and pray for him as, Lord Jesus, please deliver the love of Christ for David. And he was consumed with the Holy Spirit and the love of Christ. It wasn't through argument. It wasn't through persuasion. It was just through the power of Christ's love for that human being. And his life looks completely transformed in this day. His name's David Bennett. Transformation. It says in 2 Corinthians 3, it says, And we with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That is the reason we're in this series, because there is transformation available in Jesus Christ, and God is removing the veil. He's removed the veil. If you're a Christ believer this morning, actually God had to remove that veil in your life. And actually, he's ready to remove the veil in others. I met with a young man, this one of our youth leaders, and we were just talking. Yeah, we are talking about you know, all the things we want to do with youth and just trying to encourage and, you know, why we need encouraged because, you know, the world's hard right now. You know, kids, you know, need, need good youth leaders. Great. And at the end, he just said to me, he's like, you know what? Nanaimo is prepped for revival. <laughs> Nanaimo is prepped for revival. Some of us need to change our attitudes from living under a rock because they, we perceive the world is just going to hate what we do to actually say, I've got positive eyes to say that and declare over Nanaimo that it is prepped for revival. That even in this, the darkest city in Canada, in lots of different ways, that actually this place would be the place where God wants to display his glory through the generation coming up and through what God has to do. And we'll land with this, and sorry I've been long. The disarming nature of love and forgiveness. The thing I left of, off of the list prior of how Jesus dealt with opposition was that Jesus disarmed everything through his love and forgiveness. And when we come before the cross, we realize that what Jesus did for us hanging up on the cross, when he yelled out, Lord, forgive them for what they do. They don't know what they're doing. That he was saying that to us. And indeed, that is our attitude before the people as we go. Lord, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. When I lose my job, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. For when that family member ostracizes us and makes us feel small and stupid, Lord, forgive him, because he does not know what he does. He does not know that he's offending the living God right now. We need to take on the love and the forgiveness that Jesus did 
Jesus didn't tie a neat little bow on his ministry by coming up with the perfect argument or the perfect post or the perfect saying. He tied it up on the cross and he poured his blood out for us. It was the only way. And it brought victory for each one of us who call upon his name. And indeed, Jesus, in calling his disciples to take up that cross, is calling us to live sacrificial lives, to even say, even though I might not operate in the center of our society because the belief that I hold, I will nail that to the cross along with Jesus and say, Lord, use my sacrifice for their benefit. I could wait, make way more money, make more business deals if I keep silent about the cross and love of Jesus Christ. But I'm going to proclaim his name because just like Christ sacrificed for me, I'm going to sacrifice the ease of life to live according to him. Do you understand, church? Jesus said in Luke 23, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And then they divided and gambled for his garments, his clothes. Matthew 6 says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Forgiveness to our society for what it does to us is an incredibly important. And if you do not forgive the bad things that this society may have done for you, man, the enemy is using it as a foothold of hate in your life. And you need to experience the love of Christ. We are available after the service. And some of you, man, I have the privilege of talking to some really dark situations where you've really been hurt. But Jesus wants to minister. Jesus wants to transform your heart. So as you walk in forgiveness, those people see something that they've never seen before. The image of Christ displayed through our lives. Sound good? Amen. Christ... Uh, I think I called Wes Christ twice in this service. <laughs> Forgive me, Lord. Wes, why don't, can you pray for us as we land? Thank you. Thank you for listening. We switched around some of the preaching because uh, but I know I always go long. One day I'm going to get the Mark Manfredi anointing of a, of a good 30-minute preach. She's not here yet. Pray, pray. God, we love you. Thank you so much. Amen. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Yeah, Lord, we thank you for everything that you've sown here in seed form, and I just pray, God, that we would take it, and that we would be good stewards of it, and that we would be wise builders, and uh, Lord, I thank you that your word never returns void, but it does what it was set out to do, and Lord, as Andy has walked us through this morning, I just pray that um, all of those seeds would fall on good soil, and that we would see a tremendous harvest in our lives, in Jesus' name, amen.